rappers. My jersey up too high in the rafters. I got a frosty new life in the tractor. Everyone, welcome back to Moonlighters Club and the Boston Ujima Project coming together for yours, mine, and ours. Uh, it's been quite a journey. I, we've had a good amount of interviews. I think we're on interview number five, if I can remember. There's been a lot going on. Uh, yeah, I have a job too, so I'm all over the place. But yeah, <laughs> it's, the, it's been great. Boston Ujima Project's been featuring some really nice, beautiful local talent. We got more. Uh, I'm not gonna spoil. I know. I know you, and I'm the, for forever. You, my mom is really psyched about me. She's like, "Did you do a thing with me?" <laughs> like, all right, all right, yeah, relax. Let me do. I'm an adult. Let's just start by letting you two introduce yourselves. We'll start here and sure. go there. And yeah. So. Excellent. Well, so happy to be here. So happy to be here with you. Right. It's great. Uh, my name is Nia Grace. I am an entrepreneur here from the city of Boston. Uh, born and raised in Roxbury, Dorchester, Jamaica Plain, like all around. Um, I'm the owner of the historic, I would call it, uh, Daryl's Corner Bar and Kitchen, located here in Roxbury, South End, however you want to call it. Uh, we've been here since 1957, since we were known as Bob the Chef, uh, since 2010 as Daryl's Corner Bar and Kitchen. In 2018, I took over ownership, so just at the uh, four-year mark. Um, I'm also the owner of the Underground Cafe and Lounge, and I am a proud uh, CEO partner uh, with the Jazz Urbane Project. That was so crispy. Did you yes. see that? I was just like, oh, no, no, no. Go ahead, my friend. All right. Uh, Ron Dorsey. Uh, I'm kind of what Boston needs me to be, whatever it needs me to be. Uh, we, we can talk about all of what that means, but um, I am a proud partner of Nia Grace's and Dr. Bill Banfield's and the Jazz Urbane Cafe. Um, really looking forward to what it, all of what it's going to be. It is about the honoring of Boston's culture. It is about uh, the revival uh, of many artistic traditions, especially among people of color commu communities. But it's also about a glimpse into the future uh, of people of color communities as well. So looking forward to making history. Nice. Welcome. Welcome all the way from Detroit to Boston. Yes. One of us now. Proud Welcome native to, Detroiter. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I like people from Detroit because it is Detroit versus everybody. Every time. I mean, <laughs> the nicest people ever. Like, I really do. I've I, I met some good folks from there. So. Appreciate it. So we're going to talk about Jazz Urbane Cafe. By the way, Daryl's, I mean, it's amazing. Get here. Every time I'm here, like on vacation, they're like, where do I hang out? Ain't no black people around. I'm like, yo, Daryl's. Daryl's right over there. You know what I mean? It's, I, I love coming here. It's a great place. And uh, I love, Nia, how you brought up that you lived in like eight neighborhoods. For those who are confused, Boston's so tiny that you kind of have to say Roxbury's last Dorchester, like if we're all like connected, it's the same thing. Absolutely. Yeah, unless you're in East Boston, which is like <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, like who would, who would be there? It's East Boston. Yeah, so <laughs> we're gonna talk about Jazz Urbane Cafe. Sure. So I like to just start with, how'd you two meet? And then how, where did that idea come from after you two met? So the idea precedes us meeting, and we met through Dr. Bill Banfield, who is really uh, the father of the concept. So the Jazz Urbane was really his brand idea when he came back here in 2005-ish okay. uh, to come back to Berkeley and lead the Africana Studies Department. He always had this imagination for integrating the arts into neighborhoods and into community and really bringing uh, world-class talent to the people places where people gather. And so Daryl's was one of those places. The Beehive up the street was one of those places. We've had a partnership with Scullers and Riles and some other folks, but Daryl's is home base. Um, and so the partnership with Daryl's probably started somewhere around 2007, 2008, okay. um, with a number of our groups performing here on a weekly basis. Um, 
And around that time, we met this young woman who, even though it said Daryl's, it was clear who was running the place. Um, and so the more we got to know Nia, this really became a collaborative effort to figure out how were we going to bring this concept to a variety of audiences to the degree that Nia and Bill together were vetting the artists who would show up on the stage, really thinking about what the repertoire uh, was and how to present this uh, on a weekly basis. Um, I was just hanging around the music uh, to some degree. You know, Bill was my professor in, uh, in composition when I was at the University of Michigan a long, long time ago. And um, so, you know, I was carrying the musicians' bags and asking them for tips or whatever and hanging out at the bar and, and listening to them at the same time that Bill and I were imagining the Jazz Urbane recording label uh, as well. Um, but then we got to talking after, uh, after Nia became uh, owner about you know, how this really becomes a, uh, a linchpin for culture in the city of Boston and South End and really wanting to tap her uh, entrepreneurial imagination uh, for what this could be. And her leadership has really helped us grow into something that has become more of an experience for Boston and that, you know, we're looking forward to being a nightly experience at a place in Nubian Square. So, Nick, could you explain what the Jazz Urbane Cafe will be when it's open to people who don't know? Yeah, I mean, I first got to say, Ron, you're so poetic. Like, I'm like, <laughs> this is amazing. This is romantic. Right? <laughs> I won't be all there. So, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, let's let's just first talk about you know our Nubian Square and and Roxbury in general. I, I always like to say that you know, Roxbury literally is the geographic center of the city mm -hmm. of Boston, right? And, and truthfully, it's the mecca of culture, I believe, for the city of Boston. And it welcomes so many different diverse uh, personalities and, and cultures and, and, and food and, and just entertainment sources, just in general, artists that are coming from Roxbury, historians, leaders that are coming and thriving and living in, and at some point in time, just putting the stamp on Roxbury. Um, I think but what we start here uh, in this literal edifice and then what we're going to grow at Jazz Urbane is going to be, you know, like us amplified by 100. Mm -hmm. so, so that's literally what I feel about it's just going to be an explosion of all the things that uh, we've been developing over the years coming out of Jazz Urbane, right? And that's me trying to be as poetic as Ron, maybe not, <laughs> you, but... <laughs> you did a whole lot better. <laughs> But, but really, what's that experience? We're, we're talking about a unique but familiar dining experience. You know, it'll be food that you're familiar with when you look at the items and the names, but it'll have, uh, again, a more of a cultural and, and interesting twist on it. When you come in, it's going to be entertainment, but not something that they just carved out for us, but in fact, a stage made and built for this kind of platform of amplification for artists who are developing here in our city. Um, for me, it's so often a shame that I know how many artists are going through Berkeley that leave here almost mm -hmm. immediately. Mm -hmm. Why? Because there is no, they, they went from a smaller stage in their, in their classroom to a slightly larger stage maybe in the neighborhood and then nothing intermediate and nothing even larger that would allow them to have a residency, have something to really cultivate their growth and the maturity. And it's like, it's time for me to go because I've outgrown Boston. And so when I think about Jazz Urbane, it's that opportunity finally to have a little bit more of what we've been desiring. Mm -hmm. um, when we think about the limitation of our spaces, and, and my history is really, you know, uh, I have a self kind of directed study 
and observing and, and looking at the history of black-owned establishments in the city of Boston and understanding that we have about 62 of them that are considered a bar and or a restaurant and knowing that only eight of them are fully transferable licensed, right, and that have an opportunity to, to make a different kind of wealth, in fact, not just make an income, but actually have some kind of wealth. So to know that uh, with new legislation that Jazz Urbane also brings not just this culture pot, but also an opportunity for wealth, right, when we think about the Ujima project and when we think about the individuals that are going to be able to come and work a really good job, not a full-time job, a part-time job, but be able to come in, I, the Jazz Urbane to me is really just opportunity and the future. So, I mean, I really hope that I was able to, to give you an idea of what you might get when you get there, but if you want some more, we're, we're talking about local musicians who are going to be performing throughout the week. We're talking about a stage for national acts to also call us a place to to come and and again put on that big show think about what would happen when we went to the strand theater when we had national acts touring through our neighborhood and we were able to go and get dressed up and, and do what we did on a friday and saturday night that's what to me is going to be returning to our neighborhood and revitalizing nubian square um, and, and again, that, that just neighborhood bar, that while I love the place that I'm in right now, we just need a little bit more space because there's, 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 we, we went through that booming era, right? And so we just want a little bit more space. And so we're going to be able to have that to spread out, to, to grow, to commune, to, to make neighbors again, right? We're in, in, a neighbor, in a city where, in fact, it kind of feels like things are just transactional. I think we're going to get back to a really great emotional piece of, of being out. This is, yeah, you're, uh, you're both poetic. I don't even understand what we're doing. What are you doing? Uh, is this, this is so a debate. We have yeah, No, 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 no. <laughs> no we're just going to keep building. Yeah, I love it. Uh, no, I, I, I uh, first of all, thank you. I, uh, well, I grew up in the city, so it's interesting. And you're aware of this. People, I meet people. I live in D.C. now. So people, like there's black people in Boston. And you probably hear that in most northern cities, except for Detroit and Chicago or New York, mm -hmm. right? And I'm like, no, they're here, you know, but you're not going to where we right. are. There's right. no reason for you to. So now I come in, I visit. Today I've been walking around the Seaport District, walking around downtown back Bay, seeing things closed, and seeing new things built. The only neighborhood that's been exactly the same since I moved in 2020 is Roxbury. Mm -hmm. As soon as you cross Newton mm -hmm. Square, it's houses. And you're like, okay, this feels good, but we need to do something. Because mm -hmm. I don't want to come back here and see, mm -hmm. not, you mm -hmm. know, if you have a dog and you want to run in the middle of the night, go ahead, do that, go crazy. We don't need that just yet. Like we gotta let's 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 build something here because it it was it is really important space. When I was growing up, I went to the Timothy, uh, I went to Latin Academy. When it was called Delhi, it was Delhi, but that's where all the black kids were hanging out. We were mm -hmm. eating at Arizona's, waiting to mm -hmm. catch our buses home, hanging out with our friends, playing around. If there was a game at Madison, we'd go there. Changing the name of it to Nubian Square was important. It feels weird now because you're like I didn't even think we had pull like that in this city. Um, and then seeing things like black markets brought up. So I think that's a perfect place mm -hmm. to have this. Mm -hmm. Was it that intentional to put it right there in Nubian Square in terms of the Jazzerbank Cafe? Were you looking at different spots around the city, or was it no? This Roxbury, it has to be Roxbury. Well, this this was really an artifact, uh, I think, of the city of Boston recognizing the special experience that Jazzerbank was becoming, and so the city, under John Barrows's leadership uh, at the time and the Walsh administration, approached Bill Banfield and said, "Would you consider doing this in a place?" would you consider making this a permanent experience here in Boston and let him know that they will be running a public RFP process to compete for the retail space 
that will become the Jazz or Bain. So Bill pulled together a team, really thought about what that concept would be, and you know had to do his homework and compete with other entrepreneurs who wanted to see things come to the space. Fortunately, that process was also one that was juried by people who were in the community. So they had a real stake in saying what they wanted to see there. And it could have been everything from national chains to more boutique uh, sorts of things. But when they thought about the thing that would be kind of the crucible for culture that would fulfill, as Nia said, um, a lot of unfulfilled dreams uh, about what belonging could be uh, in Boston. This was the uh, experience that they decided uh, to go with. And the city's been an incredible partner uh, for us on that space. But they and we have seen it as an anchor for uh, the continued vitality of Nubian Square. Uh, and, and I was careful to choose my words because I get a little offended when people talk about the revitalization of Roxbury and Nubian Square. It's up and been here. So this idea that it's up and coming um, is offensive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Uh, and for, for those of you who may not know who are watching this, like I, I work in sales and retail most of my life. The concept of an RFP, this request, is these, these lengthy, long, long, long documents. And a lot of it has to do with, I'm a, I'll campaign for work from the state. And you just fill these long documents out about who you are, your background, all your employees. You have to make all these attachments. It takes weeks to just make this thing. And then you got to submit it. And then you got to wait. If there's anything wrong with it, they give it back to you. There's a deadline. So it's like 40 pages of work. And it could be for absolutely nothing, which most of the time for me is absolutely <laughs> nothing. So kudos. Because the fact that that was the process and that you got it made, that's incredible yeah. just to yeah. begin with. And Nia, we got to get into this. I've, I've been to this place. I see you here. You, you, you run this place. You're busting it. Like you're, what you've done with the place is amazing, but you're working hard. I can't believe you're doing Jazz Urbane as well. Because like, one, you've not gone crazy. This place is amazing. <laughs> you put your all into it. Were you worried at any point, like, yo, this cafe, let's do it, that it'd be too much for you? Or were you skeptical, skeptical about taking this additional work on top of running this that you already do? Well, I mean, I, I got to say that, you know, I came into the project a little bit later, um, you know, I think much later than Ron, right? Bill was there at the table. Uh, the idea was uh, brought to him to, to take over that space, and then it was just me, right? But I had always been an ear for Bill um, if he ever needed anything. You know, as he was going through the process, it was like, well, what do you think about this? I had no idea what he was talking about until I saw it. <laughs> I was like, is that the mayor announcing? Is this, what? You know, call him right now, right? Uh, but I, I never uh, wavered in, in, in lending any of my resources and uh, time to say, hey, like, I'm always going to be an ear. So uh, when we approached it formally to, to figure out what my role would be uh, in the project, I think that I was very much aware of um, my limitations. And I'll say it actually happened in the middle of the pandemic while I was still six people only here at Daryl's uh, trying to open uh, the cafe down the street. But I was just like, well, if I carve it out in a certain way, I think that this can work. It's super manageable because let me tell you what I love about this team. Um, and maybe it's because they're, you know, out of Michigan, you know, and although <laughs> I love my Bostonians. Right. I just feel that this team totally understood from the beginning collaboration and that we all wear different hats and we're going to excel in what our expertise is. And so here at Daryl's, I am almost, you know, I've got a great team here. Right. But. I am the spearhead of a lot of the projects to make that great team run. Uh, with the Jazz Urbane project, we've got the maestro of music, you know? 
we've, we've got the conductor of community relations, and then I am the operator of the restaurant, right? And so I don't actually have to wear all the hats that I do here, and it's a relief, in fact. Um, and it's something that gives me joy because I'm actually able to be uh, really most effective and most creative in just one area of this restaurant business. So. And all that Nia says is true, and at the same time, Bill and I were like, we need to go get LeBron James. <laughs> <laughs> it's so silly. LeBron, that's what's up. That's what's up. So, it's, yeah, so it sounds like it's kind of sectioned off based on your talents and how you split things, but the collaboration is key to success in, in the black community, mm -hmm. and I see it done really well, and sometimes I see it done not so well. Um, how do you figure out how to delegate things, or who should focus on a specific uh, uh, area of the business? It could be the restaurant portion of it, yeah. the look of it, yeah. things like that. How do you know what to split, who, you know, who takes on what? How does that work? I mean, I'll offer at least two things, but I'm really interested in uh, Nia's thoughts uh, on this. I think, first of all, we were careful to kind of shape job descriptions and, and do the detailed work of kind of saying, what's the role? What are the responsibilities and how are we going to hold each other accountable for things? Uh, because the project is dynamic, those things keep getting negotiated, but to start off with those uh, agreements matters a lot. I think the second dimension of it, it's a small team, so get in where you fit in. Um, because there are a lot of things that require the three-headed monster, that uh, require our extended team of five, six people uh, as well. And we want to make sure that it's a democratic uh, process. Uh, I'm uncomfortable with hierarchy for the most part, um, so I want to make sure that we're hearing from everybody. Uh, I want to make sure that there's input from everybody and that everybody gets the satisfaction of being creative in what is a creative venture. I like that. Okay. So, Boston Jima Project, how that, how that start up, how that, how that's, how that intersects. So we, we've been coming for Ujima and trying to convince them to come for us for, <laughs> for about three years uh, now. Um, in prior professional life, um, I'd had a, a number of interactions with Ujima. Sometimes I've been an advisor for Ujima. My wife and I are members uh, of Ujima. Um, and just a lot of uh, friends whose perspective on the world and new economy we respect. So when we were thinking about this venture, we wanted to make sure, one, that on principle, we had significant representation by investors of color uh, in this project. And to the degree that we could, making sure that we had investors who didn't have to go through the hoops of being accredited investors and make so much money or whatever. And so Ujima was actually the first investor entity we ever approached uh, about this back in 2019. Um, because we knew that it was a quick way to fulfill that wish of making sure that this was for black folks, by black folks. Um, so you get to summer of 2019, this was a little bit of an odd proposal for Ujima because usually that membership is identifying the places that work for them and investing further. We actually pitched them on a startup, which you know, hadn't really been done. And so they said, well, we need to reverse engineer this project, our membership needs to take a look at what you're trying to do, ask questions, make sure you want to adhere to the community standards. So we did a demonstration in the Nubian Square space of about 100 folks, 50 Ujima members, 50 Roxbury residents, uh, just to get in the space and really whiteboard the concept 
uh, of the project. We had food in the space. We had one of our bands, uh, Great Night, because they ended with, uh, if you can imagine this, uh, harpist, saxophonist, drummer, bassist, closing with smells like teen spirit. It was amped. It was amped in there. So uh, it started to give the community an idea of, of what was to come. And so uh, we were on the road to hopefully courting them as our first investor. And then the pandemic hit. Um, but we made sure that we stayed in touch, let them know what progress we were making. We didn't stop our work. It, our work just moved to a different, quieter phase until we could ride this out. But uh, we knew that we did not want to move forward without the Ajuma project. Nice. Yeah, Ajuma is awesome. This is just perfect. The point you made about uh, finding investors of color, that's something that scares me all the time because I grew up listening to rap. So like my whole day of black folks making it, if you do something really well, and then some rich white dude with a suit is like, here's a check. <laughs> and you're like, cool, 20 mil, baby, yeah, I made it. Yeah. But like I haven't, as a kid, you didn't really see too many alternative ways, you know? Then I started hearing words like grassroots and yeah. just community involvement and things like that. So I'm like, oh, okay. It's good to see that it's possible. It may not be as prevalent yet, mm -hmm. but it happens. So it happens. We can do this. I, I think it's an important step for Boston to take. However large or small that investment is to kind of say we can do we, uh, and we can support the things that are important to us. I was looking through the, uh, Eugene's big on principles. So I was looking through, uh, uh, and not just the investors of color, but community ownership mm -hmm. was one that came up. Uh, um, what does that mean to you, especially Bostonian? I mean, you're, you're one of us now. You oh, still yeah. rep Detroit, but you know, you're from here. You, you, you made a great mark. How important is the effect this has on the community to you? Well, I mean, I think that one of the biggest things about being a business owner is that you're supposed to be able to provide a service that has been called for or wanted, right? Um, and so what better way than to hear the input of the, literally, the direct community that surrounds the space, but also those people are now investors really saying, like, this is what we want, this is what we need. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times we sit in our silos, and I've got to say this, as a solo entrepreneur, you know, I'll sit in my silo and think that I hope that this is what the people want. I think I'm in tune enough with what the people want, but how great is it to, to sit on a Zoom or to sit in a meeting and actually hear firsthand what the people want so that I have a greater success rate coming out the box. And I think that that is something that's really important for entrepreneurs in general, is that you really you know, figure out a way to take to task what it is that your community is desperately really asking for, and not just what you want to see out there. Because that's, what, that's gonna be the difference between a failure and a success. And so for me, this community ownership piece means that every day I've got a larger charge in front of me than just you know, making a dollar. That, that literally mm -hmm. is what the difference is. I cannot fail because my community has told me that this cannot fail and this is what we needed. And, and, and I feel like that's our greater charge. Um, I can be a bit, and I say that even still when I think about the last two years, about how hard the last two years have been. Um, I had many opportunities to just put my head down and shut the doors down. Um, but what I knew is I got so many calls from people between the ages of 25 and 85 that said, but you can't go anywhere because we need you. We've always needed this kind of space. We've always needed this, this haven, right? So you can't go anywhere. We get you tired. We understand. <laughs> But you can't go anywhere. And I was like, I hear y'all. I'm coming. I'm showing up day seven. So that's that's what. But I but I mean, even in tiredness, I did it with so much joy and it was so much bigger than the numbers, because trust me, the numbers did not make sense. 
for the hours that we were putting in over the last few years. And, and I, that's the same thing when you think about this startup, right? We're going to be putting in hours. We're going to be doing things that it's, it, at some point it's not going to make sense to us because when we look at it black and white, but when we look up and we see the faces and we hear the voices and we get that silent tap or that loud nudge that's like, no, you got this because mm -hmm. you got to do this, right? Because mm -hmm. this is what we need. I mean, that you need that in order to really get through this business. And so that's what is so special to me about it being about community. Right. So why jazz? I know you both involved with jazz, right? But to that young Bostonian or any Bostonian, like Bostonian going to Nubia Square, this place is open now, you know, then, they're probably thinking drill music. When can we get a little dirt <laughs> in here, right? When we gonna get, when we gonna get the city girls in here? And I, 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 but I have my own history with jazz. I know yeah, it's yeah. important, but. What would you say to that? Well, let, let me make sure I represent Dr. Banfield on this one because he, he would say it's jazz urbane. Okay, okay. Um, and so the two stand equally, but there's uh, a language in jazz that, uh, whether we think about it this way or not, really is universal language. It's universal legacy uh, as well. You hear it interwoven through everything uh, we listen to. So one, wanting to pay honor to that tradition that Bill himself comes from as a guitarist and composer uh, as well. Um, but really to uh, name that we're honoring the height of black creativity in a lot of ways. Uh, there may be only one besides hip hop, American music form that's been invented and that was jazz. Now there are musicians like, you know, folks that I love like Christian Scott who would take all of us to task even over the use of the word jazz because it's something that they're trying to deconstruct uh, right now for a lot of different reasons. But uh, I think it's important for us to marry jazz and urbane because we want to capture all of the flavors and expression of identity among uh, artists and producers uh, of color. But a lot of it is rooted in the, the principles of improvisation. A lot of it is rooted in, you know, if you ever hear, hear uh, Cornell West talk about uh, jazz, he talks about the democracy between the players who are on stage and the deep listening that has to happen uh, among folks in band settings. Um, and so I think we want to build on those principles, but have it be genre non-specific. Yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna see some brothers and sisters blowing horns and doing crazy things on pianos and their instruments, but you're gonna see DJs, dancers, a whole lot of other things in there. As a Detroiter, uh, I grew up on Detroit techno, so I gotta see Juan Atkins and Derek May and Kevin Saunderson here uh, at some point. Uh, I love Jay Dilla, so you know mm -hmm. I, it's, it's a dream of mine to see Guilty Simpson. Uh, up on that stage, but you know, uh, I also grew up listening to a lot of funk. So I'm hoping we get Van Hunt. Um, you know, I'm hoping that we get uh, sort of that extended Minneapolis family uh, of folks, uh, Stokely Williams yeah. and, and uh, all those folks out of uh, Princess Camp. So uh, a lot of possibilities. But what we also want folks to understand is that you know all those things we know and love and listen to, they live here in Boston. You may not know all the artists' names, but they're getting it. And they need a place that they can call home and they need the right to be able to make livings as artists and not have to do five other things to support their passion. That was, that was beautiful. You just dropped so many jewels. The number one is techno being like Detroit. Like growing up, I was like, I thought that was from like Germany. <laughs> so I was like, nah, man, that's Detroit. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm like, that's what black folks do, man. Yes. Yes. You break, I mean, I listen to, I love music in general. I listen to Led Zeppelin and there are times where they're talking about I got to get to Chicago and I'm like, 
Chicago. <laughs> Why does he sound about Chicago? And my friend was like, probably because he stole these lyrics from a blues musician. Hey, the there South, you go. Bro. There you go. It's like, yeah, it's, 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 it really is interconnected. Um, and it is a cornerstone. So uh, uh, regardless of how things go, I, I think what you're doing is beautiful. The fact that you're here, whenever you get a chance to breathe, I know you've got a lot going on. It's Wednesday. You got a lot happening. Thank you for telling me. Whatever you do, <laughs> whatever happens from now on, uh, uh, it's great. It's great that you care and you're, you're doing something for us. That's, that's beautiful. Um, so as of now, tentatively, this is coming 2023 or so, 2023. Yep. 2023. What advice could you give to anyone looking to, to start that business, but not just about the dollar? Someone, there's, everyone's trying to leave their mark on the community, especially black folks. I want to do this for my city. I want to start this thing. I want to leave my mark. Maybe they're stuck. Maybe they haven't even started yet. What advice would you give them? I'll start with you again. Um, I I think one of my uh, most recently, my notes is patience and really having patience, right? Uh, patience to learn a process that you're not familiar with, uh, patience to get to know strategic partners and people that might help to grow you in the area that you're trying to be in. Uh, patience when you're working a deal and you think it's straightforward and it's not straightforward. Um, because I think a lot of the times that we're, we're really in a rush to get to the end and get to the finish, the big vision that we've seen, that we don't really respect the process. And, and people say, I respect the process, and then they don't really respect the length of the process. Mm -hmm. And so when I say that more things for me in the last five years have grown out of patience and nothing else, um, because if I was short with it to cut these things off, I mean, I would not be here at all, and I can bet you a dollar just one. I bet you one dollar that I would not have been here um, if I didn't have that. So, nice. Uh, I think I would say two things. First of all, rigor. Rigor matters. Uh, is paying attention to all the details, making sure the decimal point is not in the wrong place, making sure the glass is sitting on the table right. Uh, if you're building the app, making sure the code is solid. Uh, whatever, but it is the attention to detail and the rigor that it takes to do it one, two, and three times. Mm -hmm. um, I think the other thing is that despite the, the myths that we make about entrepreneurs as kind of these kind of singular heroes and they look like Elon Musk and Henry Ford or whatever, this work is tribal. Yeah. Um, it's teamwork. It's about finding the folks who can match your passion for the thing that you want to do. It's about having the humility to know that you can't do it all mm -hmm. um, and respecting other people's talents and passion and their visions uh, because, you know, with Jazzer Bain, it, it really is becoming an additive and integrated vision. There's a version of this that Bill has had in his head for a long time, but uh, it's morphing, it's changing, it's expanding because Nia and I are involved and other people are involved and we're hearing from the community more, uh, but it's, it's that tribal nature of the work that's gonna make it successful. Nice, well, that was, that was awesome, that was great. I, uh... Iris is one of my favorite players ever, but I'm like, yeah, we actually should be practicing. Like the small stuff matters. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's, you can wake up out of bed and be great, but you know, having patience and doing the small things will make a difference. Believe me, I didn't want to do them ever. <laughs> like it matters. <laughs> it matters. So no, I, again, I love what you're all doing. Uh, and also, I, honestly, find somebody, the, the person that you know in your social circle who's kind of OCD, they need to be on the team. Mm -hmm. oh. <laughs> I'll take it. So, I don't know what he's saying, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, because you, you need that person who's just going to, uh, 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 did you think about it? Did you think about it? Did you think about it? Yeah. Yep. So, until it opens up, is there any way people can be supporting or anywhere they should be tuning in until 
Yes, a variety of ways. Uh, we are still fundraising for the project and looking forward to starting uh, construction later this year. But if this is the investment opportunity for you, go to the Jazz Urbane website and our Get Involved page and you can uh, request information uh, to invest. Um, until then, there are opportunities to see us in action. Uh, I'll let Nia talk about Sundays, but I will mention that we will be a part of the Embrace Festival block party. Uh, Friday, June 17th in Nubian Square featuring Bill Banfield's Imagine Orchestra. Nice. Yeah, that's uh, for King Boston. Um, and every Sunday, or almost every Sunday uh, consecutively until we open at the Jazz Urbane Cafe, um, it's almost essentially where we started. We're back here uh, to do Jazz Urbane Sundays. And so from 6 to 10 p.m., you can get our soul food, our, our, our great hospitality, and you can hear uh, Teen Spirit with a jazz band, okay? <laughs> Do you remember that night you and I sat here and they first played that? Listen, okay? Nia, I got it on video. Nia <laughs> sat down and she was like, this has not happened in this space. And we just sat across the table from each other just mesmerized and these dudes were up here going in. And it's so crazy. My brother, uh, my older brother, he works with me too. He, he's the one who introduced that song to me. And that one day he just didn't come to work. And I was like, this this dude is missing it. Poor thing. Oh my gosh. I'm just videotaping. It was amazing. Yeah. Well, I heard it. Support. Jazz Bay Sundays. Just come to Daryl's whenever. And also, Jazz Bay website. We can support. So, me and Ron, thank you so much. Thank you. For everything yeah. you're doing. Thank you for the conversation. I had a blast. Um, for everyone watching and listening, Moonlighters Club, thank you so much. Uh, we'll be working with the Boston Jima Project maybe soon in the future. Thanks again to the Boston Jima Project and everybody who tuned in. And until next time, see you later.